Welcome back for episode 33 of Focus Fire Chat and our fourth Extra Lore episode recorded live on June 1st, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have the technologically challenged man of the hour, Justin Sane 0516. I are smart. the topic of today's chat is going to be a brief look at the dark soul series which holds an immense amount of lore so we're going to stick mostly to the major players within the storyline before we get into that however i do want to run through some quick notes our last chat was a discussion over the reef wars if you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts please be sure to check out www focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats as well as links to all our various other pages if you don't mind please give us some feedback on itunes or through our email focusfirechat at gmail.com to let us know how we're doing as many of you already know Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who were unable to participate. Next week's chat topic is going to be a discussion on the major battles of the city from within Destiny. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into an introductory summary of the lore that surrounds the Dark Souls series. Go, Blue! (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Well, I mean, Go okay. For, first off, what do we know? You know, we usually we usually start off these episodes with what we know, and that's pretty much where the meat of this episode is going to be. Um, so, what do we know about the Dark Souls? It is a trilogy of games. You know, we're going to break the fourth wall just a little bit here. It's a trilogy of games that is the spiritual successor to a game called Demon Soul, which is produced by a software or a developer called From Software. Um, now, obviously three games each one of them follows kind of a slightly independent storyline but the first and the third actually do tie in um you know as as a newcomer to the series which is what i definitely fall into the category of my understanding is that dark souls 2 kind of breaks the continuity of the storyline between the three games and it kind of takes its own direction um the first one, and and they're simply named. It's Dark Souls, Dark Souls Two, and Dark Souls Three. So, not a lot of difficulty in figuring out the order of playability here. No expansions. <laughs> Actually, there there are expansions. Oh, the expansions! Just, yeah, there it? are tons of expansions. But I didn't. Oh, wow. I didn't want to like. Oh, it like splinters into oh. crazy. I mean, it's already like Elder Scrolls level lore on these things. So. Yeah, it's, and it's demented. It's like oh, it's to, it's like yeah. Tolan's stories. Tolan's dad told him before bedtime is what it is. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, pretty just, twisted, just a bit. I mean, I could I could definitely see a, a you know. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> so Dark Souls, the first one, it takes place in a fictional kingdom of Lordran. 
the player the player assumes the role of a a character that is called a cursed undead who begins a pilgrimage out of an area called the undead asylum to discover the fate of the undead which is a pretty common plot point in the game um it really does have a minimalistic plot from what i've understood here historical events in this world and their significance are often pretty implicit or left to player interpretation rather than fully shown or explained there's not a lot of things pointed out and that actually kind of goes along with a quote that um miyazaki who is the director of the game kind of said at the beginning it says he said that the greatest tool for narrative in the world is the world you create for it to exist in a well-designed world could tell its story in silence and you know so as a person who has not really played much of these games that kind of is daunting uh (laughs) just a little bit because what that basically translates into is it's a giant freaking puzzle like basically like destiny but even more so um so and there was another really really interesting quote that i had that i kind of came across and this was from a user over on uh the destiny or not the destiny cheese the dark souls 3 yeah i know i'm already slipping the dark souls 3 subreddit and this user is asha bardon and he he or this individual has actually written a 65 page pdf that is called ash seeketh ember the lore of dark souls 3 and it, he and he goes through and he's he is apparently a um he is a former game reviewer so he actually kind of does know what he's talking about here and he kind of goes through and explains the mechanics of developing games as well as the you know the impact that the lore has and you know his take of the lore and all this it's a really really good read and I'll and I'll include the link because I'm going to quote him and I really encourage people to go read this but he said in in the introduction he said the the lore is similarly fluid a key part of the game's mechanics thanks to mizaki sons and famous childhood antidote where he couldn't comprehend all the books he read and so took the basics and filled in the gaps himself that is the heart and soul of dark souls right there for your enjoyment this is not a game which presents the lore on a tasty platter it feeds you tidbits like odors and leaves you wanting more it's human nature to want answers, but here you have to look for them to draw your own conclusions. This does, of course, mean a lot of this work is conjecture because bar item descriptions and the odd nugget of dialogue, everything is guesswork. That's part of the popularity split between those gaming masochists who want to progress regardless of how, the, how they keep on dying and those like me who are intrigued by the story and want to figure it out, end quote. And that kind of that kind of resonated with me because I'm, I'm definitely on the latter part of that, that, uh, split, but I can see, and I know a couple people who are on the former and who actually are very, very big fans of this series. And that's pretty accurate from what I understand from them as far as this entire, entire story goes. So Justin, I don't know if you want to weigh in um, on that quote. Yeah, yeah. What I'm getting here is uh, a lot, a lot left to the imagination. Um, not a lot of the blanks filled in. This is sounding familiar. There's a game that's a lot like that story-wise. I can't remember. Can't remember what it's called. 
moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm getting from it too. It's uh, so much more, so much more in-game atmosphere versus uh, you know a little cutscene telling you what's happening with all these characters. Although from what I've heard, the cutscenes in this game are pretty epic. Yes, and they have gotten better they were I, my understanding is that they weren't amazing the first which i mean is the standard you know development arc yeah, of games yeah. we're not amazing but the story i mean like the reception of the first game was near perfect um i think i'm right here i'm looking at uh famitsu gave a 37 out of 40 GameSpot gave a 9.5 out of 10 um and you know all of them are described ign gave a nine out of ten Eurogamer nine out of ten i mean these these are just really really high scores for it and that you know of course prompted to the dark souls 2 game being developed and then obviously that produced dark Souls 3 um but okay so going back going back real quick to the plot of dark souls um Really, it's like I like we have been in kind of our talking. The actual plot that the game player experiences is very minimalistic. You have to actually delve into the intricate details and you have to read between the lines on a lot of this. But there is some information given to the player. Uh, the, there is an opening cutscene and. Let me. I'll just. I'll just read. I'll be honest. I'm, I want to. Yeah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. I will be completely honest here, because it actually <laughs> is pretty accurate. I've you know I've watched the cutscene and this is actually pretty accurate. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read right from the Wikipedia page. It says the opening cutscene begins in primeval times with a world shrouded by gray fog and ruled by everlasting dragons. In this world, Gwyn, the first to become a god, happens upon the first flame, takes the Lord Soul, and with his allies, uses its power to defeat the dragons beginning the Age of Fire. But all flames must fade, so after thousands of years, the Age of Fire was dwindling. With the dwindling flame, the undead curse appears, where certain humans become branded with the dark sign and continually resurrect upon death, losing a small piece of their humanity and sense of self with each death. The player being the player is as one of these cursed undead, locked away in an undead asylum. And then it goes on to explain the actual plot of the whole game, which is basically you escape from the asylum and then you, you know, you basically you're as most RPGs, you're fulfilling a mysterious prophecy, you know, and as you walk through this, defeating these bosses. And of course, as everyone has probably realized with Dark Souls, this is a pretty ruthless game. It's known, it's it's actually heralded as one of the most difficult games out there because, and it's also one of the most unforgiving because basically what happens is when you die, you would get to start over pretty much it's like playing diablo on hardcore from what i've seen and when i played i played dark souls 2 and that's kind of what it is is you get to start over you have save points and if thankfully you have save points and when you die you carry these powers called souls that you gather it's basically the experience it's my two cents on this is that's basically experience you die and you drop drop the souls and then you get slung shot back to the last checkpoint at which you have one chance to go retrieve those souls that you dropped 
And I cannot for the life of me remember if there's a time limit on that, but I would not be surprised if there was. Um, so that's that's the first game. Now, this game uh, did have a DLC called Artorias of the Abyss, I believe. And this was basically an expansion that I told I said I wasn't going to get onto these. But this expansion introduces um, a primordial serpent who I believe is Koth. Um, oh, thank you, Bo. Bo in the chat is correcting me. There is no time limit to retrieve the souls. But if you do die in the process of retrieving the souls, they're lost for good. So I do know that. Um so in the DLC, they, oh, this is the introduction of Ulusil, which we'll kind of talk about in a little bit when we get on to Manus. So that's the first game. Uh, pretty basic, real, pretty quick run through. Yeah, yeah, real quick. I had a couple thoughts. First of all, uh, Everlasting Dragons. Um, <laughs> I thought that's, you'd pick up on that one. Yeah, that's, and I, I'm just curious if anyone chat could let me know. Uh, how many of their? How many of them were there? And uh, <laughs> um, I don't remember there being a number. I know that they are immortal, except for one. Except for being killed. No. Well, there, there is. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, they're all Seath. Seath yes, yeah, Seath is the only one that's scaleless. not immortal. And the only re- and the reason that it's important that he is scaleless is they. Oh, uh, they derive their immortality from the scales. From their scales, yeah. And so the fact that he was scaleless meant that he was not an everlasting dragon. And then that's why he betrayed them, basically. He betrayed them and assisted the four lords. No, yes. Gwyn and Nico and the Witch of Isolith. He betrayed the dragons and helped them overthrow the dragons and usher in the Age of Fire. And then as a reward for his assistance, Gwyn gave him uh, a duke. He gave him the title of duke and gave him his own castle in which to research how to become immortal, basically. And Seath ends up going insane. And there's there's a really couple of interesting theories about Seath and Gwyn. But so... Just real quick, and this is going to be like a real newbie thing to say, and everyone's going to probably flame me for it, but Gwyn's a dude. Am I getting that right? Yes. Gwyn is the Lord of Sunlight, and he has three children. The oldest son we do not – or the oldest, we do not know who it is. There's a there's an interesting theory on that. And then there is Dark Sun Gwendolyn, who is also known as Gwendolyn the Forgotten. I'll talk about him here in a second. And then Guinevere, which is the Princess of Sunlight, which we'll also talk about her when we get... I'm going to talk about the main characters here in a second. Okay, cool. So I was just just trying to get... He's also the first boss of the first... Or the last boss of the first game because he becomes Lord of Cinder when he tries to sacrifice himself to continue uh, the first flame's light. He tries to continue. He tries to link to the flame to continue it so that the Age of Darkness can't take place. And Lord Hades, thank you. There is one everlasting dragon left in the Ash Lake. So thank you for that correction. Uh, so there always is at be least one. There's at least one left. Isn't that what I saw in the uh, – didn't I see in the Dark Souls 3? Is that the new one, the 
the one that just came out. Yes. Um, isn't in the trailer, isn't he fighting a giant dragon? Or is that some other kind of monster? They, it, I, whatever I it looked, whatever it was, it looked know. amazing. Right. <laughs> I think, I think that, I, I mean, I think it's a dragon, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's the last. I assume it's the last. Well, it can't be. If there's the got to be more than one of his like, When you see Seath, or Seath, um, he doesn't look like a dragon. He's got tentacles. Yeah, he looks really a little weird. bit like an octopi at the yeah, base. He looks kind of like a uh, cephalopod, so I'm kind of weirded out about that a little bit. So, which actually ties into an interesting theory with, hang on, I'll remember, Gwendolyn. There's an interesting kind of side theory about Gwendolyn. So just real quick, is 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 Gwen, is the Welsh derivation of that name, is that not a girl's name? Am, am I crazy? Or is it, was it a man's uh, name to begin with? Just that's been bugging me. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, is that one see. of those really ambiguous things? Like, it is masculine. It is. Gwen yes. is masculine. Okay. Huh. Well, I'm the weird one, apparently. <laughs> Move it's, along. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm looking at the, just like behind the names. Which uh, is, was I right uh, it that it means, was Welsh? Yeah, it's Welsh. It's masculine okay, cool. Welsh, and it means white haired or blessed. White, fair, or blessed in Welsh. Nice. And nice. the variant spelling has two N's instead of one. So you're right and wrong at the same time. It, it, it's Wednesday. <laughs> right? Am I right? <laughs> you got a 50-50 chance. You know, you keep no. flipping the coin no. and it lands on the edge. Yeah, everyone else flips the coin. It's heads or tails. I flip the coin. It's on the edge. So, <laughs> Valiant Roundtable <laughs> corrects us. Safe is an octodragon. Oh, So there you okay. go. We're good. Nice. Octodragon. At least there's a term for it. I, uh, yeah. So what how are the dragons in in what way other than being dragons the inherent powers of being a dragon how are the dragons special or do they have any kind of do they grant wishes it's <laughs> no they they definitely did not grant wishes um, okay. they uh they i don't know if they ate people but like it, it basically like the that hardly seems a power well so like before age of fire which to me kind of it kind of sounds like you know the olympian story of the the transference of power between the olympians and the titans and stuff like that or a really cool metal album right but one or the other (laughs) so like there was the eight i think it was the uh the Oh, what came out? What came before the Age of Fire? Uh, it was the, I think, the Age of Ancients. Ah, you thought it was like the Ancient Age? I don't remember. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna get. No, no, you're not gonna get. If you I'm, get flamed, ha, <laughs> flamed. Uh, no, no, you will not get flamed, sir. This is so, a safe like, place. I know, like the the reason why I, I know a fair bit about the Age of Fire is because that's like the pretty much the the jumping point for a lot of the things that led into the game. Uh, oh my gosh, I feel like a numpty. Uh, oh, <laughs> so um, but so like yeah, so there was the Age of Fire, 
and I want to say it was like Age of Ancients, but basically it's described as like the it's described as like an unending gray, like everything was gray. And then they introduced flame and this flame fragmented the gray into light and dark and, you know, fire and darkness. And the the concept of flame is a very important thing within the lore of the entire series. And then there's also a separation. <clears throat> there was also a separation between life and death as well. So there's this kind of like indication that everything was sort of pseudo immortal before the age of fire. Okay. Because one of the, if one there of was the main, no fire, your fire couldn't go out. Right. 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 And yeah. there's a character, one of the, one of the Lords and it's called, his name is Nico and he go and it's, his name is Nico, the first of the dead. I think, uh, grave Lord Nito, Nito, Nito. Sorry. Sorry. It's Nito, not Nico. <laughs> First of the dead, Gravelord Nito, first of the dead. And there's an interesting theory about Nito that kind of goes into um, the fact that the title first of the dead is not necessarily singular. It's actually plural it, or it could be plural. And within the cutscene, Nito is this like shambling pile of skeletons like he's he's not actually kind of a single entity like Gwyn or the witch of Isleth or the the furtive pygmy which are the four main four main lord figures um there's apparently this in this theory that he is actually the concatenation of every single thing that died prior to the flame being found kind of mashing into together oh wow and becoming a um a a, like a not a hive mind but like a bag of bones yeah he's he's kind of a bag of yeah he is a bag of bones but I'm trying to. I'm trying to. You're trying to sound a little bit more intelligent than Bag yeah, of Bones. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to sound. A little, yeah. So like, <laughs> basically, they yeah they coalesced into one being, Nito, who became the first of the dead. And then this this person is saying, notice how this is not, it's neither singular nor plural necessarily. Um, but his name is a bad word in Arabic. Apparently, Nico. Nico. Is a bad word, so I'm just gonna. Oh, his name's not Nico. I, is I apologize, Bo. I apologize. It's okay, Bo. That's my. We'll bad. curse some more in English yeah. in a little bit. Um. So, but the theory says that this character is actually a conglomeration of all of that the, good word. The massive, it, so like you know, because you know, in that instant of the fire being discovered being created it's split between life and death and you know they they the the what the what they call the proto race which is the everything that kind of existed prior to the um fire being from the age but, of fire um before that the proto race they never they neither they never died but they still aged suffered injuries and you know got sick they just never died they just wasted away uh, and then were denied death because death didn't exist and so when uh, the fire came it split the gray into light you know 
white and black, basically light and dark. And then within that newfound disparity of life and death, they that, you know, those two separated and all the old injured, you know, all these decaying decode decomposed members of the protorest just suddenly went and died in one minute, in like one instant. And that just like that massive influx or, you know, that massive release of souls that happened just kind of coalesced into this creature that became known as the Grave Lord Nito. So this is now this is all a theory. I don't I I'm sure there are lots of holes in it. I don't I don't know enough about it. But Nito Nito is kind of actually kind of an interesting interesting figure because He's one of the four beans. So let's just, you know, uh, let's just jump into him. Hey, real quick, real yes. quick. Before we do that, I, and you were talking so much about the first flame and everything. And I know the first flame is kind of this spark that ignited, uh, you know, the kind of kickstarted the world into what it is now. But in Dark Souls and, and everyone can kind of, I don't know the game mechanics. So just correct me if I'm wrong. It, are the flames meant to symbolize souls? Um, yes and no. There's a lot. There's a lot of talk about flames going out. And, right. And- um, so there, there is a difference um, between what's called the Lord's souls. Uh-huh. Uh, for instance, the uh, the so there's a place there's a place that's called the Kiln of First Flame, um, which depending on the translation, it's also could be called the Furnace of the First Flame. Apparently, so there's a there's a bit of disparity and debate on what exactly that indication is because a kiln. Uh, the kiln actually constructs things. A kiln is productive. It, you know, it you glaze clay, you make stuff out of it. Whereas a furnace, you destroy stuff in, you destroy things in, and so there's there's a bit of a disparity on which way you translate that and the implications there. But the fire that is in there is, I think, the I want to say it's the bed of chaos which is a different event that happened which is this is like a ton of information and so like oh, yeah. they discover they discover the they discover the the flame and they discover um you know Gwen the witch Nito and the furtive pygmy discover these things called souls <laughs> sorry no 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 yeah and so so Gwen and so three of them, Gwen, the witch, and Nito, keep theirs. They keep their souls. Mm-hmm. And then the furtive pygmy finds a soul that's known as the dark soul. And apparently what he did was he splintered it and dispersed it, giving humanity existence. Uh, or giving them life, I guess. And... There's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, discussion about Gwen hating humanity. Gwen does not trust humanity and all this stuff because there's apparently a prophecy about when the age of fire goes out, when it when it dies, the age of darkness or the age of man steps up. And that's the next one. And so Gwen is all about, you know, keeping this flame alive, which 
led into him doing some pretty you know pretty questionable stuff uh he he did not shy away from genocide in order to keep the fire alive and and ultimately it 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 comes to a head and he actually sacrifices himself to the fire to keep it burning and this you know kind of backfires because then it creates him it creates the lord of cinder which is his form but there's a there's a process that's called hollowing and basically what happens is the um the best way that i can explain this and i'm going to give a huge shout to uh, dj from safe gamers on this one we were talking about this actually uh monday night the best example of hollowing is so you have an undead undead is actually a pretty sentient and pretty normal entity inside of the dark souls series it's not an actual you know mindless zombie however a hollow undead is a feral ghoulish zombie and that's the you know the ghoul the crazy ghouls from the fallout series that you experience a husk of a person yeah in but it's not just a husk it's an actual insane undead and so they have like this, this, I guess this really powerful strength, you know, they're, they're, but they're unreasonable with, you can't dis, you can't talk to them. You can't reason them down or anything like that. You just have to kill them. And then throughout the game, as you kill things and Lord Hades and Chet just actually threw this in there, you collect things called power souls. And this allows you to become a, a more, a stronger vessel for the flame, which basically is this in-game term of gaining experience and leveling up. You as you as you collect more power souls, you can get more powerful, and, and this actually leads to the downfall of one of the the adversaries later because she gets she sends you through all these you know these tasks to take care of all these enemies for her because she's not strong enough, quote unquote, to take care of this. And then at the end of the at end of the Dark Souls two game, I believe, um, you actually face off with her, and ironically, the entire process of clearing the way for her to take on the throne, she has actually created her own demise in you, the player. So like as you know, okay, so Dark Souls two, we're gonna just talk about that real quick. You know, I'm just gonna steal this from Justin. Hey, come on. <laughs> so, and, you know, like I just said, like there's there's a there's a character in which Dark Souls 2, you start off again, you start off, you begin with a human who is actually set to become a hollow, which is, you know, zombie like. And in order to break this, you kind of have to. You have to retain what's called humanity, and that's kind of what keeps the the insanity at bay. And there's there's multiple ways of retaining humanity. Um, I think the there's like the dark. I think it's the Dark Lord that came into existence in this game. But there's like you can kill other you can kill other sentient creatures, and I think you absorb their humanity from them, and you basically become like a, a vampiric figure. Um, and I could be wrong on that. I I want to say that's what it sounded like. Um, but anyways, so throughout the Dark Souls two story, you actually. And Dark Souls 2 is this is the one that we were saying this kind of deviates from Dark Souls a bit. Um, and 
they're set in the same world, but there is no really direct story connection between the two. Um, the interesting thing that Dark Souls 2 did to the title or to the series was it introduced PvP into the mix. So on top of the already insanely difficult PvE environment, which is player versus environment, um, you now have player versus player. <laughs> so now you get to fight other players in the game. Um, and then that also, also they introduced uh, some limited co-op components of the game. But the storyline in Dark Souls 2, so you, you go to a kingdom called and I'm going to probably butcher this pronunciation. It's I think it's Dranglick. <clears throat> and that's where you are introduced to a, care, a NPC that goes by the name of Queen Nishandra, which is a very... This, this character actually turns into a very... Inter- it, it turns out that it's a very, very interesting character. Um, and, you know, I'm promising I'm not trying to call connections to destiny but this character when i was reading her kind of backstory she actually does remind me a lot of the krill um so basically nishan nasandra uh, is this character who has pretty much corrupted a lot of this land and she's described as being a a woman of unparalleled beauty. Um, and so, but she, she has a secret and it's a, you know, a, a dark and ancient secret quote. And there's, a, there's an entire story like where or Tori, entire storyline outside of the game, I believe in which it tells this, the story of how she became queen of, of Dranglick. Thank God. I'm going to forget names because I'm not looking at it. Dranglick. Okay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. She, no. she became queen of Dranglick. Nailed it. <laughs> um, and basically what she did was she came into this kingdom and she basically seduced the king who was a, an individual by the name of Vendrick who has its, his own immense storyline. And she she convinced this king to cross the sea and to basically wipe out a race of giants and and in doing so and he did he did he did this and he was like he was a very strong king and i think he actually i want to say that he gained the ability to create golems from the giants want to say that's when but i i think but anyway, so she she convinces him to do this, and he does this, and then he he comes back to a peace. There's they've created this peace in this kingdom, but it's a very it's a very dark peace. It's not a very it's not you know hey good we're through with war peace. It's kind of a an uncomfortable peace. And Vendrick throughout this entire process, he eventually figures out that hey something's wrong. You know, he, he finally, finally, light bulb finally clicks on and he, he has apparently an ability to look into a person and I guess to see, you know, their dark secrets. And he, he looks at Nishandra and he actually finds out that she is the smallest piece of a character or a figure called Manus, who is also known as the father of the abyss. And this, this came about, uh, he was defeated in Ulusil by another character, Atreus, 
and he was when he was defeated which is that's a whole fun theory story too but when he was defeated he split into fragments and some of these fragments were minuscule they were very very tiny they were almost krill like but they (laughs) some of these fragments actually recollected and assumed a human form and one of those fragments that did that was this character nashandra nashandra i'm going to constantly mispronounce this and she so each of these fragments are not obviously the whole of Manus, and each one of these fragments represents a an aspect of him. Nisandra represents the desire piece, and so that's why she's described as you know the Helen of Troy figure in the story, and she's able to seduce very easily. So, anyways, Nisandra you know convinces you know all this stuff, and basically she takes the throne away from Vendrick um, and she becomes the queen. And then the, our character, the player character is introduced to her and she walks him through or walks your character through all these tasks. And in doing so, she, you, you just slowly find out through doing so that she's actually trying to take the throne I can't remember what the throne is, what's its actually name, but I think it's, I don't want to say it's actually the throne that is over the kiln. Is that the, the quote, but to know if you, the true King, we will require the throne. Yeah, I want to say that is, that's yeah, what she's talking I wanna, about there. I want to say that is throne of want. Thank you, Hades. Thank you so much. It is the throne of want. Um, so because, and basically she criticizes Vendrick because he didn't take it or the great soul. And, you know, basically she's like, you're not an actually King and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, she wants to, she doesn't want to take it. I think she just wants to control it. And basically like the entire time, Nisandra, like the entire, and, um, there's a YouTuber, Terra Mantis, who I will again quote because he does awesome. a really, really good job. And what he kind of does is he kind of approaches it with the idea of not just explaining the storyline, but also kind of trying to figure out why these characters do what they do. That he kind of tries to figure out, you know, like the psychology behind these these enemies that you face so that they're not just like, oh, it's another boss, do, 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 you know. And it's a really, it's, he's got a really, really, really good series. I think it's 12 videos long that kind of explains the different, different figures in Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2. I can't remember if there was Dark Souls 3 on there, but anyways, but he has one that kind of talks about Nisandra and his, his description, you know, she has this desire for power and this desire to become immortal and become powerful again and you know basically from from a destiny point of view from a player who is very familiar with books of soul or books of books of sorrow god books of souls books Books of of souls yeah books of souls did you not hear no um the books of sorrow (laughs) it sounds a really a lot like the krill packed with the worms you know they want to 
gain the power to protect themselves and to take revenge upon those who are wrong them and you know all this stuff she's pretty similar to that her her entire and which i mean is not saying a lot there's a lot of you know roads to hell are paved with you know these intentions but and it's by no means a uh a theme that is un- unique to destiny it was just you know like i said as someone who is, you know, been reading that predominantly for the past couple months, that's what struck me. But anyways, she's a pilot fish. She's a well. She's more she's a than pilot that. fish. She wants to swim with the sharks, but she's not. <laughs> but she she. I mean, yes, but no, because she almost wants to eat the shark to gain its power. Well, she's a she's a bit of an ass, but she's well, still yeah. A pilot. I mean, yeah, I'm not yeah. <laughs> but anyways. So, but (laughs) sorry. (laughs) So, anyways, um, she puts you through all these tasks, and you know, she she basically has you wipe out her competition. And throughout the entire thing, she is doing all this, and she's basically orchestrating it so that when it comes time, she can take the place on the throne. And so, the final boss on it. Um, on Dark Souls 2 is basically her. And it's kind of interesting because she basically guarantees her own demise um, by requiring you as the player to walk through all of this stuff. Because in walking through all this, you have taken on all these power souls and become more powerful than even she was expecting. And so you can, def- you, you overthrow her and it's just kind of an, it was an inter- it's like an interesting kind of twist because it's like she, her, the tool that she's using to ensure her ascension is the tool that is the cause of her demise, which kind of sucks. But I mean, it's, well, it's, that's what happens when you scheme right? and you're, yeah. and you're a, a really tricky pilot fish. I know this is gonna kind of this is gonna kind of sound like I didn't catch a whole bunch of that, um, but I did. But I just want to reiterate: at at the end of the day, she still is Nashandra, and I almost called her Natasha, but Nashandra is just a fragment of Manus, right? Uh, at the, I mean, I mean, yes. at her. At her basis level, that's that's what she is, and he is the lord of the abyss. Right, Manus, Manus yeah. was a primeval human, and I'll talk about him in a bit too. But I don't think she's to be trusted, and I'm glad no, that we no. put her down. Right. Like the I mean, I, awful most of the fish. Most of the most of the characters that we'll be talking about are actually enemies of the player character so you know most of these characters are bosses oh this game seems like everything's your enemy i saw some (laughs) gameplay where the guy opened a chest son he opened a chest and it tried to eat him it tried to eat him could you imagine in destiny the salt if you got to the end of the raid and you opened the chest and it grew arms teeth and a tongue and ate you (laughs) 
I just want gives you once. gives you a whole new appreciation for the treasure room at the end of the yeah once <laughs> on April Fools. I want to be in there like yeah, give us stuff, and I want the chest to eat me. Nom. <laughs> gotcha. And not little arms like big minute ball arms that could hug a whole village. <laughs> Sorry, this is completely <laughs> this is spiraled. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> Moving on. I've got the mental image of the prison builder's <laughs> treasure room, or even worse, or even worse. The lighthouse. I haven't been there, but I can imagine if you first got there and you're like, I'm so excited. The lighthouse. It's glorious. And then wow. <laughs> the chest eats you. What is that called, chat? Is that a mimic? Is that what uh, that's called? I want to say it's a mimic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a mimic. It's from D&D, too. Oh, oh that's amazing! That's, well, I mimics, was not expecting in D&D that. Mimics D don't have arms; they just have like a, a maw, usually. But oh my god! <laughs> Every time so I open amazing. a chest now in Destiny, I'm gonna have to like not just think, like think of you. Yeah, just ju- you, you'll make yourself invisible first, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord, that was completely okay. Dark Souls three, real quick. Yay! <laughs> so. Dark Souls 3 kind of it kind of brings back in line with the original game is my understanding. And Dark Souls 3 obviously just really well not just but recently came out and this takes place in the kingdom of Lothric uh which the player is basically tasked with returning the three previous lords of Cinder as well as the current lord who is conveniently named Prince Lothric to their thrones on Firelink Shrine to prevent an oncoming apocalypse caused by the endless conflict between fire and dark, which basically you have to continue the fire. Uh, you have to continue feeding the flame. And so, you know, obviously, as you can probably tell, the, the plots are getting a little bit more complex as the games are moving along. They're not as minimalistic as the first one. But at the same time, there's still there's still a... A level of you need to search out and find all this stuff, and this is this really doesn't sound like there's there's much difference. You basically you know are running through boss fight after boss fight in the same unforgiving nature as the other ones. Um, the the primary difference here is that once again you're kind of taken back to a different kingdom, which there is a theory that Lothric is the same as Lordran. I think is the name of the first one. Lordran. Uh, there's apparently a theory that these are all actually in the same kingdom, just different areas, but these, the first and the third apparently are very, very, very similar. And the other interesting thing is where you were cursed undead in the second one, you are now a character. Your character is now called the Ashen One. Excuse me. So that's after you've burned. I really, I it. You are now the ashen one. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't think so because this also takes. I mean, Dark Souls Three takes place time wise very 
very far after Dark Souls, I think. It's like a couple centuries, I want to say. And the interesting thing about Dark Souls 3 is that it really introduces the, like, it really kind of plays off the choices that you can make. I think there's four possible endings. Um, oh, and Bo is saying in chat, in a way, it's almost the op- it's the opposite of Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2. So, I'm assuming... But, yeah, I, I'm... Again... I haven't played Dark Souls 3. I have played a little bit of Dark Souls 2, so I'm actually kind of more familiar with the concept of Dark Souls 2 than I am with the concept of this one. Um, but so that, that's kind of the basic summary that I've been able to kind of piece together from the chat and just from, you know, reading and watching a lot of YouTube videos that there are tons of YouTube videos <laughs> that get really, really in depth on these. So, so just real quick. There's a thematic thing I want to talk about. Yes. Um, we yeah, Blue's like, yes. I can come I can, on. I can do thematics. <laughs> so, um, and I don't know if this is just me in my mind, but uh, I've kind of become predisposed to, to think about fire. We have so many sources of light that aren't fire that I don't even associate fire with um, – creation and light and good anymore it's almost primarily associated with destruction at least in my little screwed up head well but it seems like it seems like in this game fire is light fire equals light and everything that is good and illuminating and then the darkness is pretty much what we know the darkness to be everywhere else yeah yes and no would you agree with that um once again the coin is on its side yeah i mean the only the only reason i hesitate is because you play a human figure and humans seem to be associated with the darkness in the game um we supposedly in the game humanity was was sparked i don't i tried not to use that word but they were they were jump-started by a by the pygmy um the furtive pygmy can i just stop you right there (laughs) i want everyone to know why i laugh every time he says the furtive pygmy it's not because pygmies are funny to me um it's not anything like that i read through all this because blue put it all together and it was awesome and every single time I read this, I read the fugitive pygmy. I was like, "There's this pygmy," and, he's <laughs> and then, and then, first five minutes of the show, I was like, "Well, I'm an asshole." <laughs> go ahead, Blue. The fugitive pygmy. Go. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so what I was gonna, what I was gonna say is let's let's talk about the Moors. Oh God, I can't think of it now. It's the future. It does that to oh you. Oh my God. So there there are four four primary lords. Um, three lords are you know the ones that we kind of mentioned already <clears throat> Gwyn who is the lord of the sun uh Nito which we already kind of went into 
And then there is another one who is known as the Witch of Isolith, which I will talk about here in a second. But then there's the Furtive Pygmy, or as Justin knows him, the Fugitive Pygmy. Um, and yes, this figure really is important in the Dark Souls game because this figure is the progenitor of humanity, basically. The, um, the Pygmy is? Yes. So basically really? what, what happens is like these four figures find, I'm assuming that this fire, you know, whatever, however this fire started, this fire happens. These four figures find these great souls. Gwen finds, I think it's the sin, the soul of Cinder. Uh, Nito finds his own, you know, soul. The witch finds her own great soul. And then the pygmy finds the soul called the dark soul. And he claims the soul. And then it says that he waited for the fire to subside. And as soon as the flames did fade and only dark remained, or he, he, he claimed the soul and will wait for the fire to subside. And as soon as the flames do fade, the only dark remains and thus beginning the age of man, the age of dark. And then with his dark soul, the pygmy separated it into fragments so the humans could live. And I guess there is a item description on the item humanity. And it says, or it asks a question. It says, if the soul is the source of all life, then what distinguishes the humanity we hold within ourselves? And the answer kind of is that the distinction is that it's a fragment of the dark soul, not of a normal soul. See, this is where it gets really confusing because yes. I think most people in real life identify their humanity and their soul as being two very intrinsically linked things, if not the Ooh. same thing. Well, <clears throat> do we really want to you want to start? That yeah, story? yeah, do it. Do it. There's, Come at me, bro. So there's <laughs> there's a degree of truth to that. Um, theologically speaking, there's a lot of discussion, both in you know philosophical and theological circles, about the nature of the soul. Um, obviously, you know you have Catholics, you have Buddhists, you have uh, Jude, Judaism, uh, Hindu. All these theologies, you know, all have items called souls and each one of them have a slight slightly different flavor of definition i guess it's the way you would say it um but a lot of it you know philosophically speaking there is a explanation that you know it really kind of breaks it down nicely in my mind and that's the aristotelian method or the aristotelian model of the soul and in this model there is a distinction between your spiritual con your spiritual construct in which there's a separation between the animating force or the anima and the logos or the well not the logos it's the nos which is then further to, you know broken out but we won't go that far but there's the mind and then there's the animating spiritual force and then there's the body which this is all housed in and so Depending on how deep into theological circles or philosophical circles you go into, there's there's actually a lot of groups that actually, you know, on the surface, it looks like there's a dichotomy between the spirit and the body. Um, you know, as I, I'll just be honest, as a Catholic, that's what a lot of people assume. 
Um, but if you get into the Aristotelian models, you go into Aquinas, you go into any of the Boethian or not by the um, Boethius, um, who is a big philosopher, you know, Anselm, any of these big philosophers who are also fathers of the church, they actually do have a segregation between the spiritual and the the intellect. And that is because it kind of explains a lot of those, those, um, uh, what, what the Catholic church identifies as base instincts. You know, there, there's, there's, there's a, a animalistic instinctual desire to do things that intellectually might not be the best of things to do. It's the best way to explain that. Right. I mean, does that yeah. make sense? So there's a, there's an override switch that humanity technically has that a, an animal wouldn't, um, you know, an animal is simply driven by instinct and by survival. Whereas humanity as a whole has been able to develop what's you know, what we identify as a conscience and we can rise above that, that instinctual desire to, you know, an eye for an eye is not the best way. And yeah, so um, there's a, but there's, but the separate and sorry, I'll, I'll finish just right no. the separation between the spiritual composition of a, of a human. And this is, you know, this is obviously stepping outside of the game for two seconds, but for like, spir- well, yeah, a minute. Yeah. But the, the separation <laughs> explains that segregation of the instinct and the thought process, which can override the instinct, because we don't deny that that instinct exists. Like if someone, you know, if someone were to come and hit you across the face instinctually, that's fight or flight. You either fight or you flee. Like that's, that's an instinct. Mm-hmm. However, humans have a third response and that is kind of a diplomacy you know call the cops well i mean but but i mean (laughs) but you neither flee nor you fight you physically yeah you you do a third option there's an option c and that that is explained in the segregation of the intellect from the spiritual instinct which is the anima and the noose and actually i was gonna i was actually gonna back you up blue before you cut me off but so there's there's so much about our about our experience of being human that is count that runs counter to our instincts. So we have the most base instinct is the self-preservation, survival instinct, right? That is that is the most base. That is everyone at an individual level um, fending for themselves, fight or flight, just like you said. But the institutions of community, religion, um, family, and I know that seems odd, but family, all run counter to base survival instinct. Um, think about this. Think about this. You have any any mother, any animal, <laughs> any mother, is protecting their young – Protecting their young is an instinct, but up to a certain point, they will abandon their young. I mean, there comes a point to where their their survival becomes more important than that of their their spawn. Because if they die, there is no more spawn. Their spawn dies; they have another cub, right? Another another whatever. To a a degree, yes, yeah, yeah, to a degree. And and uh, but with humans, with humans. Um, you know, notions such as family, loyalty, um, fealty, uh, 
you know, all these things that will that will drive a person that will drive a person to to sacrifice themselves. Yes, and basically contradict their most animal, and I say animal not in a derogatory term, but no, yeah, their their most animal instincts and their most animal notions. It, I, and it's just I haven't gone to, I haven't had as much book learning as you, Blue, but um, <laughs> I, I, I strongly suspect that therein lies the soul, right? And that's and that's kind of you know, well, and to kind of bring it back into the dark souls thing i think that's kind of <laughs> and i don't i don't mean that i mean like i would love to continue this conversation but you know but yeah in, no, in the light of the, in the light of the dark souls thing i think that's that's kind of what's speaking here as the fragment of the humanity versus the i don't know what they called the other aspect because there is, there, I mean, uh, the fact that there's segregation between humanity and something, it means that there's something else. And the lack of humanity is what causes the hollow, the Halloween of the undead, which is what that feral state is. Yeah. And also in game, can you not play as a hollow? Yes, you play and you play in Dark Souls 2 as a hollow. I know that actually very sure. interesting. No, go for it. Oh, no. No, 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 I was going to say, very interesting from a lore aspect. The only way to, and God, this is, I'm going to butcher this, but is the only way to, I don't, I don't want to use the term ascend, but kind of progress from a hollow back to being human is to, Ingest it's a ritual with a bonfire, correct? Uh, I think that's one of them. Oh, that's one of the ways. I think the the other way is you you consume humanity. So there's I think there's a there's a number of ways. I know there's a few characters that can cleanse. I think is what it's called, or cleanse the the hollow. Or I there's a couple characters who can restore your status as not a hollow, but. Oh, and Bo is saying in chat, in Dark Souls 3, you can play as a hollow. However, it's a skill you obtain, not a stat that is progressively growing, I think, is the difference between Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls 2. But Praise the sun. Yeah, but anyways, back to the <laughs> back to the fugitive pygmy. Um, yeah. <laughs> the furtive pygmy. By the time of Dark Souls 2, apparently the pygmy is all but forgotten. Um, there is a giant, well, not a giant, but there is a big theory that the pygmy became a the giant. Kind of, there's a giant. On, yeah. oh, God. I didn't on. even realize it until you pointed out, but <laughs> there's a big theory that there is the pygmy becomes manis. Um, and there's a couple connections that are made here. Um, manis, since we're talking about manis, we can go ahead and pull him up. He is known as the father of the abyss. And this is an individual that was introduced in, I think it was the arteries of, it was the DLC for the first one, I believe. Um, but he is a character who was a prime, it's a prime, primordial, primordial human. So he was kind of a, proto-human i want to say who was manis manis and 
so he became the father of Abyss. So, and Terramantis again does a really good job explaining the psychology of Manus. Um, I actually really enjoyed watching the video on Manus because he walks through the process in which Manus kind of sheds his humanity, and it basically supposedly goes because there was a serpent. Um, they don't know if it was. I think it's Koth or Frampt. They don't. They we don't know which primordial serpent, but they this serpent urged the citizens of Ulasil to dig dig this primordial man up, and you know they dug him up, and he woke up and just basically went crazy, and. There's a th- there's a theory that they're part of the point of him going crazy was that there was a group of sorcerers who tortured him and they just tortured him until he just went mad. And there was a a um a pendant that he held and the, you know Terramantis has I think this is his, his theory in which he says, you know, eventually the sorcerers found this pendant and this was like the one thing that was keeping him with his memories and they took it and they i don't know if they destroyed it or they just took it but they by by separating from this he just he just snapped and he basically becomes this this demon who has become one with the abyss and as part of that he <laughs> he becomes an immensely powerful figure um now in the story of Manus, there's also the fall of Manus, and this is supposedly by legend done by a knight of Vendrick, who is no, no, a knight of sorry, sorry, knight of Gwyn, who is known as name. His name is Artorius, and then he had a young wolf with him named Sif. So the legend goes that Artorius, who is also known as the Abyss Walker, walks into Manus's domain and cuts through the darkness and and overthrows Manus and then disappears. What really happens is Manus kind of loses it when he lost his pendant, and he kind of starts screwing with time and space to reacquire it. And apparently in doing so, he actually brings the player character into Ulasil in the process. And in in this whole process, you, you, you kind of find out that he, Art, Art, Artorius doesn't actually defeat Manus. Manus actually defeats Artorius. And Artorius is corrupted basically by Manus. And the player character actually has to kill Artorius, yeah. And then to basically keep you know keep his name clean and all this stuff. Artorius is you know being corrupted against his will and this stuff. So it's basically a mercy kill, which is apparently not so, very easy, but it's a mercy kill. So I've actually got a question. Yes, is Manus the one who broke Artorius's arm? I don't know. I, and why I, hasn't I'm, he got that looked at? Why, I, I, you know, that was actually something that bugged me when I was watching. It's going to heal like, wrong. What? What are you doing? Your arms just like swinging. Your he's arms just like, broken. He's just like just swinging there. 
there was, a, there was a parody YouTube video that I stumbled across that kind of made fun of that. But you're not Daniel Larusso. <laughs> like you don't fight hurt. Like, but anyway, go see so the like, doc. Well, so Artur- so Artorius, you know, overpowers or is overpowered by Manus, is corrupted, and the player character has to defeat Artorius, and then goes on to the player actually goes on to defeat Manus. Um, and then after Manus is defeated. That's when his soul kind of splits apart and becomes fragmented. And, you know, some of those fragments became self-aware and became their own entities. Like we were just talking about these entities, the known entities are Nisandra, Ilana, Natalia, and uh, Alsana. And the last three, I don't really know. I didn't come across them in the basic story arc, so I don't really know anything about them. Um, so what game did that happen in? What that game happened in the DLC actually? To two? Arturius was a DLC to two, wasn't he? No. Uh well Arturius of the Abyss was a downloadable content in the first game. Okay, cool. And the that which I which basically leads into the second game because the second game is all about Queen Nishandra of Drangleic. So that's the story of Manus. I, you know, supposedly also who is also the furtive pygmy or the fugitive pygmy and his, I've got my own theory regarding that, but we'll, we'll we'll leave it. So, okay. (laughs) So going, and we, and we already talked about the grave Lord Nito. And so real quick, the, the third quick one to go through is the witch of Isleth. Now this is another, Lord or lady, I guess you would technically call her, which found the great one of the great souls. And she was actually she was actually one of the deities that helped defeat the everlasting dragons. Um I guess she was the leader of the pyromancer flame sorcerers, the witches of chaos. And they used their the power that gave that they found to give them more power to consume the the forest in which they the dragons resided in and used as a fortress. So they actually burned down the trees that allowed Gwyn to strike them down and blah, 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 blah. So she was actually a pretty in- integral part of this whole, whole process of overthrowing the dragons. She also... Um, you know they so they overthrow the dragons and Gwyn kind of takes leadership of everything and you know it's it's kind of good they they're still fighting and putting out darkness where they can where they find it and stuff like that and this first and the first fire starts going out the first flame and the witch of Islath response to this is she uses pyromancy to try to recreate the first flame with her own with her own lord soul. Um, uh-uh. which kind of nope. bites back and cre- she, she creates a corrupted fire, which is known as the flame of chaos and which is all fine and good until she loses control of it. And then it consumes her and molds her into basically a creature that's known as the bed of chaos, AKA the source of all demons. And that's all awesome not really her not for her not for her and not for for her followers and most of her children who were also consumed and they were all mutated except for one 
one care, one of her daughters, um, managed to escape completely unharmed, but everything else from her coven and her children were all caught in this explosion and kind of twisted and all that. Um, two of her daughters did manage to escape partially warped and that would be Quilag <laughs> and the only, the other name is the fair lady and basically they're driders. Anyone who's played D and D knows what a drider is, but if you don't know what a drider is, it's spider lady, spider lady. <laughs> it's basically a human torso grafted onto the body of a spider and it's not a small spider. It's a big spider. Um, so and so, whereas there are there are other siblings, these three. Uh, so it's Quilag, the Fair Lady, and Quilana. She actually manages to escape unharmed and is the source of pyromancy, which is an interesting magical force in the game because pyromancy doesn't require any divine intervention, any faith. It just requires basically a belief in the fire. So it, I mean, it requires faith, but it doesn't require like there's there's a um, no skill. Almost, well, not it, it requires skill, but it's not um, it's not like you're a paladin or you're a cleric of Gwyn. You're just you you summon this you you summon it from your own. Faith it's much in, more primitive, right? Thank you. Yeah, and no problem. She also has a son who has a really fun name called the ceaseless discharge. That's an interesting one. But so, I mean, and and actually his story is really sad. Like, Oh my gosh. I was reading, uh, reading a quote about him and it was like, Oh, it was, it, it, mm. well, shit. Does it get more sadder than his name? Yeah, I mean, that's it pretty does. rough. So, Miyazaki actually has a quote in which he says, quote, all demons are born from the fire of chaos, but he was the first born so long ago that the fire wasn't stable, wasn't yet stable. He possesses it, but he can't control it. And it burns him constantly. Despite his size, he's actually the youngest of Isla's children. He stands gazing up at the ruins where his sisters live. The only source of comfort in his pitiful, painful existence is the belief that they are watching over him. End quote. Okay, so I'm real like, quick. Wh- I, I, ow? Like. Do, do you know your uh, Clash of the Titans? The, the movie or yeah, the yeah, Clash yeah. of the Titans? Well, some of them, a little bit from column A, a little bit column B. Just the whole looking up at the tower and thinking of his sisters kind of makes me think of uh, Calabos from the Clash of the Titans. He just he just wanted to be close to them. <laughs> Calabos. He was the dude, you know. Oh, the, the yeah, okay. the ugly dude. I don't know what to call him. <laughs> he wasn't quite a centaur, and he wasn't quite. Anyway, I don't know what he was. He was annoying. He was the son of Thetis. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. See, I know you'd have the name. See, see, this is why we're a good team, Blue. I say random shit, and you know what it means. <laughs> For the most part, <laughs> some of it requires some desperate searching. I was like, that's why I was, like, I was like, are you talking about the movie, or are you talking about the actual, like, 
titan well, of the mytho. Do you know what? Do you know what, Blue? I'm going to be completely honest. I was talking about the OG Clash of Titans movie with the horrible makeup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. He is, he is a very... He's a very tortured individual. (laughs) Well, but I mean, yeah. So, like, so (laughs) the ceaseless discharge um, is the only. (laughs) It's just such a weird name. It's an awful thing to name your kid. Well, he was the child's name. The the name really was kind of given to him, and you know, his he he was born with these sores that were basically oozing lava from birth, and so actually his sisters gave him a a a ring. It's called the orange charred ring, and the entire point of this ring was to ease his pain, which was great. They're sweet, yeah, which was great until he drops it and loses it, and then he becomes a centipede demon. Which was not fun. Which, which, hey, um, you know, as normal with these games, he was transfigured into a gigantic tentacled creature, and this emphasizes his already crippling physical condition, such that he now constantly oozes lava. He's, and his one comfort in life is watching over the grave of one of his sisters. You know that that just like I, I holy, yeah. this is really <laughs> depressing. So, at its and, and I'm not even going to go into the fact that. Ceaseless Discharge and Centipede Demon have the same initials. I'm going to leave that alone. At, at its heart, Dark Souls is a tragedy. And it it's really, based it around really is. Ceaseless Discharge. Ceaseless Discharge. So, I mean, like, <laughs> so that that was kind of the witch. And the important, the more, you know, the important figure right there was the... Quilana actually is kind of the important one because she's kind of the But she's of- a she's a spider halfling, right? No, 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 that's that's Quilag. Oh, okay, that's Quilana, I thought you were mispronouncing Quilana that. is the one oh, okay. that escapes without any problem. Okay, cool. And good for her. She uh she I think she actually goes on to teach. So so the way the pyromancy works in Dark Souls is that you require it's required to be taught and basically as as you can you know um the way i kind of kind of pictured it though from their explanations was it's kind of like passing a candle flame to another candle you pass on a piece of your flame to another person in teaching them how to use the pyromancy how to use pyromancy and so as you as they teach more people the quote-unquote family kind of grows it's a very familial sense of magic here and so quilana becomes the creator of pyromancy and then she passes the knowledge onto a character named salaman who is basically the master pyromancer in the game and then he passes on this to a character I want to say, oh, <clears throat> to Carmina. And so the Master Pyromancer Salman had a number of pupils, and Carmina was the most accomplished of them and was said to have harnessed the power to flame to actualize the inner self. Um, she was basically a pioneer of like new directions to take pyromancy, and she actually introduced... Uh, three different classes of pyromancy that had before never been seen, but she then disappears and we don't know her fate. 
And so that's that's kind of the the emphasis of the witch and Quilana and then the ceaseless discharge. <laughs> We're just gonna keep going. Because Justin's gonna Justin's gonna die of laughing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. His name is Ceaseless Discharge. <laughs> we might as well just call him diarrhea. And just get it over with. So Big D. That, Big D. That comes that brings us to, you know, obviously the largest and the most well, I guess you could argue any of them are very important, but the leader of the Lords, and that is Gwyn. And Gwyn is also known as Lord of Cinder, but he's also formerly before he was the Lord of Cinder, he was the Lord of Sunlight. And Gwyn was basically the Zeus like figure. Like he he had lightning bolts. He, you know, he was a, the king of the lords. He was very he was just he was very Zeus like. And he he basically he leads this charge against these everlasting dragons, overthrows the dragons, and and creates a kingdom that goes on to that is named Anorlando. And you know, <clears throat> this was thousands and thousands of years, and then the first flame began to fade. And so Gwyn asks the witch to recreate the flame. She fails, and then creates demons. And basically, it's like, oh, you know, he's already fought a war. He's got a host of silver knights that follow him around. And so now they're, you know, now they're going to have to fight demons on top of everything else that they're fighting. And so he, he kind of starts getting spread thin and all this. And he basically was like, OK, fine, I'm done. I'm going to go try. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go sacrifice myself to rekindle this flame and prolong the age of fire because there's a a prophecy of once the age of fire dies the age of darkness and the age of man begins and Gwyn was pretty notorious for his his apparent fear of humanity he did not trust humanity and he kind of abused them quite honestly he was very um i mean he was very olympian in that sense he didn't can you blame him um Probably you know, not. Terramantis actually makes a really good point in his video that I actually really liked about how Gwyn, Gwyn um, overlooked a lot of qualities of humanity that in his in his blatant hatred of humanity, he just was he turned a blind eye to a lot of the positives about humanity. And I, I kind of I liked the way that terramantis kind of described the entire sense because it also kind of brought everything you know like we just said this game is really dark it's really depressing but under underneath this dark storm cloud of a story there's there's this like this really actually kind of kind of cool little nod to the hopefulness that is humanity and you know terramantis kind of touches on that within the gwyn video of his and I, I just, I really like that because it kind of, you know, there's a point at which a game is just too depressing and it's, like, you know, <laughs> we're mean, almost I mean, there. Well, I mean, but you know what I mean? It's like, there's like, yeah. oh, there's no point of doing this. Like and the division. I did not say that. <laughs> did not say that. But I know people who did not get the game because of that exact reason, but I did I'm not sorry. say that. But, um. <laughs> But I mean, this game toes that line beautifully because while 
it's very, very dark. It's very, very, you know, quote unquote, hopeless. There is this underlying sense of humanity is this, is this creature who keeps getting knocked down, keeps getting just the crap beaten out of them. And they just keep getting back up and they just, you know, they, they keep going after these, these, these goals and these, you know, these, these destinies that really just should not exist for them. And they keep just like, doing it like they just keep going and that's kind of what Terramantis kind of was saying is like Gwen just kind of ignored that he just kind of was like no you're you're you know evil incarnate you just need to be put down and he performed genocides of entire kingdoms in order I mean um Arterius is one of the knights he sent him to kill Manus and wiped out the entirety of the city in which like or the kingdom in which Manus was in, and just com- flooded it, drowned everybody, and just turned a blind eye to it. And that was all, you know. That was pretty much all Gwyn. And so he was, he was not, he did not have clean hands when this when this came down. But <clears throat> Gwyn had, you know, we kind of mentioned that they had three kids or three children. The first child is unknown. Um, we do not know his or her name. Because it was lost, it, it was lost when he became the Lord of Cinder and lost his deity hood. Um, his only daughter is Guinevere, which you know obviously kind of is a playoff of Guinevere the, from the Arthurian language or Arthurian legend. Um, and she's known as the Princess of Sunlight. Apparently, she actually calls herself the Queen of Sunlight, but that might be a mistranslation from the original Japanese, um, supposedly. And um, so there's, there's, you know, there's that. But on that, she also, we also find out that, you know, we we go to find her at we we, we encounter her in Lordran. And or no, we we encounter her in Enora Londo, or so we think, and we actually come to find out that that's actually an illusion created by her brother Gwendolyn, and the actual Guinevere is in is is married to a flame god by the name of Flan, which I have no information on, and so there's which brings us to Gwendolyn, which is the youngest son of Gwyn and it, there's there's a bit of bit of psychological damage with Gwendolyn um Gwendolyn is the youngest child and is the only god that still remains in an Orlando however Gwyn or Gwendolyn was born with an affinity of the moon and so Gwyn you know in his infinite ways was he raised him as a daughter and had a f- and so Gwendolyn has a feminine appearance as a result. Now, Gwendolyn kind of was abandoned by everybody. Like everybody just either hated him or just abandoned him straight up. And so when he when he, we encounter him, he identifies himself as the Dark Sun, and which is kind of you know a playoff of a number of different translations of that, but. He has a a crown, and it's called the Crown of the Dark Sun. And this item has the quote, 
Crown of the Dark Sun, Gwendolyn, protector of the forsaken city of Enorlando. This crown of the gods demands faith immeasurable of its wearer, but is imbued with dark moon power that enhances all magic. The image of the sun manifests Gwendolyn's deep adoration of the sun. So Gwendolyn, who was born with an affinity of the moon, who was born to a father who was known as the Lord of the Sun, obviously had a bit of issues there. But he also he also leads a a group of followers who are known as the Blade of the Dark Moon. And the entire point of the Blade of the Dark Moon is to execute sinners or humans and keep, you know, keep the ways of Gwen alive because he honors Gwen deeply, even though Gwen mistreated him significantly. Now, there's an interesting theory about Gwendolyn and that Gwendolyn is kind of interestingly portrayed in the game because he doesn't have legs he has tentacles and oh yeah and so there's this there's this theory that gwyn is actually not gwendolyn's father but rather seth seath sir seath is gwendolyn's father um there's there's a couple points on this theory, and I found I found this theory kind of interesting. I don't know how accurate it is, but it there's a couple points that these that a number of people made. Um, Gwendolyn shows a natural affinity to the moon when he was born. Uh, in Dark Souls, the moon is associated with sorcery, and more importantly, it's in, it's uh, associated with Seath. And apparently, if you cut off C.S. Middle Tail, a, an item called the Moonlight Greatsword is dropped. I don't know His why. His middle tail? I don't, I don't know. I, I got nothing. <laughs> apparently, that's what happens. Um, also, mechanic-wise, Gwendolyn is a very heavy sorcery user. Um, and C.S. is known as the grandfather of sorcery. So, there's a connection so- there. And then his physical appearance. Um, he doesn't have legs or, fe- or feet. He has tentacles, which is our, which are almost exactly the same as Seath's. So that's grody. Seath is a larger scale. Um, but he has no scales. Let's be let's be clear. No, Seath doesn't have any scales. <laughs> but you said he was a larger scale. I just oh want to make God, sure people no. aren't confused. Oh, so, but. <laughs> The interesting the the interesting connection with this theory is that it does actually kind of explain um, there's a character who goes by the name of Frampt oh the primordial serpent Frampt I think is who they're referencing here um, who apparently has an absolute hatred for all things related to Seath and Frampt seems to have been on a close close relationship close terms with the royal dynasty but does not like gwendolyn so it's like it's a weird thing oh my god it's and like this would all have been you know i don't i don't know it's just you know have fun with that thought so so wait and it's not that i didn't hear a lot of what you said but i just want to make sure you understand it is gwendolyn a guy too Yes, Gwendolyn was a guy, but... What's wrong with you people? (laughs) That's for sure a girl's name. So so the story with Gwendolyn was because Gwen is the Lord of Sunlight. Um, He obviously, and, you know, the fire and all this light. 
and that's being very important to him, Gwendolyn was born with an affinity to the moon. And so, which is a very feminine sign in Dark Souls. And so Gwen was like, fine, we're going to raise you as a girl. And that's what they did. So, psychological damage complete. Wow. That reminds me of a Law and Order SVU I saw once. (laughs) So... The next the next step down real quick from Gwen is he has four knights and we've already talked about one of them, Artorius the Abyss Walker. Uh-huh. There is Lord Blades, Lord's Blade Kieran, Ke- Kieran, um, who is I believe Karen. Karen. Let's just go with Karen. <laughs> she she is the, the groups, the four knights groups only female member. And her inf- her emphasis is assassination and subterfuge. So Yay! She does not really um, mess around with things. She just kind of stabs you in the back. Nice. <laughs> um, it is also kind of implied um, that she and Artorius kind of had a either a thing going, or they they were very close at the very minimum before um, he broke his arm. Before he broke, yes, before he in the broke skateboarding his arm. accident, <laughs> the skateboarding accident with Move the on. hand. Um, yes. The third one is Hawkeye Go. I'm gonna go with Go. So because and, and I'm gonna pretend that's Van Gogh. Is Hawkeye part of his name or is his title? Um, I want to say, well, it's part of his name. I think so. Okay, so Lord's He's, Blade, Karen, Karen, Karen. Uh, that's, she is Karen and she is the Lord's blade. Like right. he is go and he is the Hawkeye. Is yes, that you, correct? You do not pass him. Um, yes. he, he is one of the four knights and he I just is, got that. Do not pass go. <laughs> I like it. He is the leader of the great archers, great archers. Basically okay, cool. these were dragon hunting archers that okay, had cool. giant, gigantic bows that basically were you know is that a great bow yeah i'm thinking more on the scale of a um oh what's what's it called oh i know what you're talking about like the giant freaking bow that you set with like a horse yeah oh i just blanked it's gonna come to me as soon as we get off the air yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm with you 100%. But really, what I want to talk about right now is the Paladin Leroy and the oh, way no, of the Jenkins. But, uh, <laughs> ballista, ballista, that's what I'm thinking of. A ballista, that's what I kind of imagine Oh, that is around. what it's, it's called. Like, You're he, freaking genius. I, yeah. I think that he's just carrying a ballista around. Um, and then one, the last one is Dragon Slayer Ornstein. Um, and this is the figure who was believed to be the captain of the knights. And he was basically the one of the primary guards for the Princess Guinevere. Um, however, How are we he, not? Yeah. So he apparently follows Gwen in his affinity for lightning power. And he uses a spear Which, that he, he imbues with it. Um isn't no. isn't Seath? Uh, doesn't he have lightning power? Seath. Yeah. Yeah. Does he not have some sort of lightning infused ability, or am I oh, just the completely wolf. the wolf? Huh. 
No, the the freaking dragon with the with the oh, octopi- oh, oh, yeah, the, the octopus um, legs. I thought you were talking about Sif. I was like the wolf. No. no. Um I want to say he might. I don't think cuz I think the whole thing was like lightning. I don't know. I don't think his was he was, he's like he's he's called the grandfather of sorcery but I don't believe that he actually had an affinity with any particular elemental power. Okay, cool. So he's not a storm caller per se. No. But he does like experimenting on people. Nice. Nice good. So, you know, that was that was a fun. So, after Dragon Slayer Bernstein um, <laughs> we have Bishop Havel the Rock, and then I think we'll we'll glaze over him real quick, and then we have what'd you do to me, Blue? Uh, then we have Paladin Leroy Jenkins. Leroy! <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for you to get to it. Oh man. Not even going to apologize for that. <laughs> Why would we at this point? <laughs> uh, so the entire time Terra Mantis's video was going on about this, that's all that was ringing in my head was like just this. And he, if you look at him, it's like it fits perfectly. I'm almost 100% certain this was this the was first done. Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> this was done on deliberate. Like this was deliberately done. Um so jeez uh, he's, he's he's basically i mean he's a paladin of gwid and really the only reason i really wanted to include him was because of the name <laughs> because it's awesome and um he's a paladin of the way of the white and the way of the white quite on quite quite simply is are just followers of the of Gwyn, <clears throat> and they basically seek to kindle bonfires in order to sustain the power of the gods. So the more fires they they light and they kindle, supposedly the the longer the power of the gods is withstand. The um and <clears throat> then you know you this is a joinable faction within the game, um and there's really. No, not much. Not much. Uh, yeah, he likes to rush me. into encounters half cocked. Is what I got <laughs> from that. <laughs> oh my gosh! But so I guess the the big thing that he did. How do, is there a character named Leroy in this god <laughs> forsaken game? How does that happen? How I is there not? I love it. I love it. But <laughs> where does that fit in? Like, why is there not a Cletus of Esgaroth? <laughs> Like, how did that work its way in there that there's a Leroy in this lore? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Like, what writer was on vacation when that one got – like, what happened? (laughs) It's the most incongruous thing I've ever freaking seen in my life. Leroy (laughs) – was the first undead that was created by the way of light 
Um, he was also the first pilgrim of the undead mission into Lord Lordran and was stationed at the catacombs. Apparently, you can summon him to assist you. Yeah, I don't know how much of assistance <laughs> he would be. I, I'm going off the name here. I'm sure in the game. It's- oh, shoot. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Dark Souls. Just when I thought I had you figured out, you, you, you served up Paladin Leroy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Holy Sorry. moly. So, so a lot to pack in here. So, so far, fire good, not fire bad. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, that's... I, was, but, there, was there anything else? Uh, there was Havel the Rock. Um he I know Fraggle the Rock. <laughs> he was he was a he was a really close friend of Gwyn's um and he served on the battlefield alongside Gwyn and he basically, you know, he became very anti-magic or he was very anti-magic. And his weapon of choice is actually the tooth of a dragon. He bludgeons people to death with the fang of a dragon, which is kind of cool. Um but so in his his apparently he and Seath do not get along, obviously. Well, he um, doesn't get along with anybody though. He's kind of who's pain Seath? in the ass. Seath yeah, Havel. Uh, Seath, well, not yeah. even the other dragons. Well, but there's there's also there's also the theory that so he he was imprisoned and then like you know he goes hollow and goes insane and all this stuff. But there's a theory that the reason why he was in prison was because he got caught trying to assassinate Seath. <laughs> he was just he was trying to just kill him before he could get into like power. And he just got caught and basically they were like, Yeah, no, you can't do that. And so there's also a thought if if Seath is Gwendolyn's father, that could be the tipping point that caused him to try to kill him was that whole that whole so and that's pretty much that's pretty much what i have no i'm actually glad that you finally like uh you know uh i'm fine i'm glad that you finally gave me the floor because i've got i've got some serious lore work to do i have save gamers i have a way Uh, that you can start off you ready what's that what's up all and safe gamers yeah so uh i've actually got a theory here we go ah ha 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 so and forgive me uh dark solars if i completely screw this up so we have manis right yes who is the quote unquote father of the abyss right he was later broken into what we we came to know as the shards of Manus, which I believe there were four. That we know of. Uh, yes, four that we know of, but countless untold that we do not know of. I want right now to speak of one such fragment, <laughs> an, an anonymous fragment. Cast aside like yesterday's rubbish. He found himself in a world he did not understand. Please don't go where I think you're going with this. <laughs> um, with nothing but his wits and a song to protect him. Oh, God. You went even further than I thought you were going with this. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, folks. That's right. You heard it here first on Focus Fire Chat. Payin is a shard of manis. <laughs> and I think I might kill you. I think with that, Willie will be proud of me finally. I've been searching his for his approval <laughs> for so long. <laughs> because that I was you were gonna, I thought you were gonna say that he was the 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 fragment that became Zer. That's so much better. I, like, why the f*** didn't I think of that? <laughs> I thought that's where you were going with it. Ma! <laughs> why didn't I think of that, Ma? Why is Blue smarter than me? <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, so. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that gets it. Like, for me, uh, it's kind of like watching an episode of Lost. I have way more questions than answers at this point. Um, it does seem like a really cool, a really cool lore environment. And I actually think I may try out dark souls three. Yeah. Dark Souls. I mean, it, it, it just, it's, it also seems like you can take the lore in segments and Mm -hmm. not really miss that much. Like I could, it seems like I could play dark souls three and not be like, when I go through and play the later Borderlands games, I, I feel like I'm missing something. You know what I mean? Right. But I feel like I could probably pick up Dark Souls 3 and not be missing anything. Or I'd be missing um, some stuff. But Dark Souls 3, from what, what my understanding is, Dark Souls 3 has a pretty good introduction that explains... Okay, cool. Um, and if it doesn't, there's an article that I found that actually did kind of run through a summary. Now, it was a long summary. Yeah, yeah. But it, was, it kind of ran through a summary of the first two games to kind of, quote unquote, prepare you for Dark Souls 3. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we should roll into to shout outs at this yeah. point. Yeah. You want to go first? No, you go first. By all means, I want to give a big shout out to Boemus. I think I just butchered your name. You the man, Bo. Bo. Bo um, five Aramis. He he has provided <laughs> he he basically provided me with all the information links that then led to my being able to create the notes that helped me understand everything no. here. Bo's the man. Um, and then also DJ Cantrip over at Safe Gamers. He he and I and Bo kind of had a conversation on Monday night where we kind of hashed out a couple of my more basic questions about Dark Souls. Um, and then obviously I'll I will put links to all of the people that you know we use to to create <laughs> these notes because, like I said, neither Justin or myself have really played Dark Souls, and so yeah. this is kind of you know this was voted on, and so we we honor the vote, and we will do our best to keep keep it, but we don't know necessarily how badly we butchered the lore on this one, so we hope that no. we did a pretty good job. Ignorance is bliss, right? Right. That's what I always so, say. So yeah, I just want to I just really really want to emphasize this. Uh big shout out to the live chat here. Thank you for soldiering through this one. Um <laughs> there's nothing worse than, than watching someone you're fond of flounder 
And I'm sorry for putting <laughs> you through that tonight. <laughs> but um, also, also all of the uh, Podbean listeners, iTunes listeners, Google Play, however you have you catch us. Uh, thanks a lot. Um, if more than two people download this podcast, um, this particular one, and the two people I'm thinking of, Anna and my mom, uh, I will be astonished. <laughs> so everyone who downloads us each week, thank you so much. Uh, I'm continually humbled and uh, will continue to be an idiot um, for your pleasure. So uh, really, really great. Really great, guys. Um, everyone in the live chat as well. Just thrilled to have you here. And uh, lastly, DOD Shadow White Crew. Uh, you know the drill. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being you. So other than that, um, heads up to paying as Manus. You the real MVP. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, man. Okay. So with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to all those over on Twitch for coming to spend the evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focus fire chat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or topics that you'd like us to see us tackle in the new YouTube videos that we're in the process of putting together, the Lore 101 series and Justin's Spinfoil Corner. We try to keep to the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central. But if we have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at Focus Fire Chat. So until next time, the lore band marches on.